0: Greetings, this is Bob Ponderelli, co-host with Mike Scherrick of Into the Gap Radio, which airs Saturday afternoons at 1 o'clock Central on 1590 AM and 95.9 FM Chicago. This is the podcast version of our show where you'll get highlights of our most recent episode. We also do an Into the Gap unfiltered podcast, and I'll have more details about that later in the episode. Okay, let's get started. Here's my co-host, Mike Sherrick. we got State Senator Jim Oberweis with us. How are you doing, Jim?
1: Absolutely. Fantastically
2: terrific. That's fantastic. Thanks for being <laughs> here, man. So, yeah, Jim stepped in, and we're going to talk a lot about the state of Illinois. We're going to talk about him, and we're going to talk about his campaign running for the Illinois uh, 14th District of the U.S. Congress. So, But before we do that, we're going to let Bob do his thing here with uh, documentation of existing conditions.
0: Well, we're, we're actually going to take a different tack this Uh-oh. week. And, you know, Are we? Yeah, the reason why is we, we're really looking to uh, – maximize our time with Jim. But I just want to say that, you know, for those of you listening, you know, it's become every week. There's a little bit of editorializing I'm going to do right now, which is basically that for those of you who are in the, in the age category, there's a famous uh, video of Lucille Ball on the chocolate machine. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so the news has become, a uh, daily, weekly news now, has become like what, you know, the chocolates, the, the conveyor belt it it never stops. Yeah. And our capacity to deal with it is is somehow I think a constraint. Mhm. You know, that we we used to, you know, read a newspaper and have conversations and get the news. Now we've got multiple outlets. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of a lot of noise. Yep. Yeah, and um
2: can we so, pull up my graph to show that noise? Right? <laughs> right? Cuz that's what it's about.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, you, your graph say something about that. Graph.
2: Well, no, it it just it just with Moore's law, it's, mm-hmm. there's so much information at it coming, right. coming at us. We, yeah. We're in a continual state of overwhelm, and what overwhelm right. means, a disempowering relationship mm-hmm. to uncertainty, coupled with an insufficient structure to fulfill your commitments, and, and it becomes difficult. That's what overwhelm, and right. that's why so many people are in overwhelm, and that's why everybody, and mm-hmm. when you're in overwhelm, you get into survival, and that's why everything becomes about them.
0: One of the uh, one of the more scary stories, though, yeah. uh, that I have on my desktop here is, uh, yeah. it, look, uh, University of Michigan. Oh, that's as, the as, bastion of <clears throat> uh,
2: conservative thought. At yeah,
0: the University as, of Michigan, as well right? as as well as uh, what I understand to be, two hundred schools around the country mm-hmm. are now uh, basically creating bias response teams. Or anyone may may anonymously report anyone who is saying something (laughs) naturally improper, racist, biased, and the student will be caught, required to take unconscious bias training, and may be expelled. Wow. So now— So that's mind control. Well, I mean, if it's not Orwellian, what the
2: heck is? uh, Mr. Oberweiss, do (laughs) do we still have the First Amendment?
1: Um, The last time I checked, we still do, oh, I just, and I hope it's still there. I don't think I need to check every day.
0: So, <laughs> I'm starting to think we might have so, to. So, and I actually spoke to someone who was a teacher in Illinois about yeah. eh, maybe a year ago now. Yeah. And this person took the te- they took a test mm-hmm. to detect whether or not they have an unconscious bias. Well, and and their eye movements actually are used to say, oh. You have an unconscious bias because you twitched a certain way. I mean, where does this end? Well, first of all, as human beings, we all have bias. Absolutely, we all have bias, right? Like,
2: and we're supposed to pretend that we don't. It's nonsense. You like Italian food more than German food, right? I prefer ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, you do. (laughs) Bingo. Yeah, Yeah. but we all we all have biases, man. Yeah, there's stuff we like. Who's your favorite baseball team?
1: Uh, I like. The Chicago Cubs, but I like the White Sox
2: better when they're playing each other. Of course you. Do. Oh, you like the Sox better when they're playing when they're each playing other. each other. It's yeah. awesome. And what's your favorite rock and roll band? Oh, maybe Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin, right? So yeah. we all have biases. So you prefer yeah. Zeppelin over the Beatles, right? Right. Yeah. I prefer the Stones over yeah. the Beatles, right? Right. You prefer the Sox over the Cubs.
0: We right. all. It doesn't make us evil, right? What the hell? Right. It's insane. Right. I think the difference is there seems to be an attempt, and I'd look to Jim for some thoughts on this. Is is there an attempt to to like constrain human behavior? Is this social? Is this a form of social engineering? Is this is this is there some long game attempt at legislating behavior, like literally creating laws or or behavioral, you know, like if you don't behave this way, like the Chinese social credit system. You know?
1: I think it's pretty clear that you've hit on the feature that uh, has made Donald Trump successful. I mean, he's kind of the anti-PC yeah. uh, voice out there, mm-hmm. and he does some uh, some unusual kooky things that uh, uh, people seem to like because it is anti-PC. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, my suspicion is that's one of his major uh, reasons for
0: success. Do, do you think that, that Donald Trump tends to— Uh, has created the following that he has due to his, meaning he's willing to be as vulnerable in certain respects. He's as vulnerable as the average person on the street. Like, you know, we, we, you know, at Thanksgiving, we don't always say the thing that everybody wants to hear at Thanksgiving dinner, right? I I
2: don't see him naturally as vulnerable, though. I, I don't see him being vulnerable.
0: No, you know, no, he's. But but he but, but does he care about what people think of him?
2: I, <laughs> yeah, I think he does in a big way. I think he cares a lot about what people think, <laughs> and I think he he likes to stir the pot. I mm-hmm. think he's a he's a you know a feces stirrer. Look, mm-hmm.
0: it,
1: the bottom line I believe on our president is he has done some really really good things for our country, really mm-hmm. good things for economy, mm-hmm. in some. More unusual ways, let's non-traditional. Way. Right. Can we put it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, non-traditional yeah. ways. That's probably the nicest way you can put
2: it. Yeah, is yeah. you know, like I am, you know, I am comp- depending on what day it is. I'm either thumbs up or thumbs down on the guy because <laughs> he does crazy stuff, right? Yep. And I, here's what I don't question: I don't question that he's in it to win, and he's in it to be like for the best interest of America. You know,
0: I, I get I, that he's a patriot. Yeah. I, agree. I I I would yeah. say that he's a, he would be classified as a patriot. Yeah,
2: so. I agree. Yeah, but does he do it in an unconventional way? And, and I think he, he occurs to me as a little reckless. I'm reckless. I can be reckless. And he mm-hmm. far exceeds that, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I am a high risk taker as a normal guy. But he even, you know, it, it's like, I, I, I don't, what I don't know is, is he aware of his, um of the impact of his recklessness when
1: he's doing it? I suspect he is, and, and yeah. you know he's taken some big risks. Um, if, for instance, in trade with Mexico and Canada, yeah, um, and he won. He, he won. He, that's right. Yeah. If we can ever get the Democrats in, in the House to approve it, but but certainly uh, uh, the new uh, agreement with Mexico and Canada is is a, an improvement for the United States over yeah. the old NAFTA. He's taken uh, some risks with our trade with Europe and seems to be doing okay. Yeah. He's taken very big risk with trade with China, and we're not sure yet mm-hmm. how that's going to work out. Uh, we may all, um, six months from now, be pretty disappointed with uh, with that risk if it yeah. doesn't work out. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, you know, he makes a point when he he says that uh, uh, we have not had a fair trade relationship, uh, particularly from the inter- intellectual property rights exactly. standpoint, uh, and up until. Uh, uh, a few years ago, you couldn't have a company operating in China unless you had a Chinese national that had a majority interest in that company. Yeah, uh, That's very different than the way we treat Chinese businesses in the U.S. So he has taken the uh, the difficult challenge of trying to get a more favorable, more fair uh, trade relationship with China. And if he wins at that, you know, we're going to look back and say, holy cow, this guy was brilliant. Yeah.
2: Well, you know, I I applaud the boldness and the courage of it, right? And I, I, one of the things I see is very seldom do we have in our political leaders the willingness to do that. You right, know? yep. And, and so I really, really applaud that. Most political leaders, once they're in,
1: just want to play it safe so they get reelected. They
2: get reelected, yeah, exactly. And so, uh, you know, he's in a position that you can only get elected twice. So he's he's playing a big game. And, and I, I get that he disturbs people and I get he irritates people sometimes and I get he says things that are, so what, get over yourself.
1: You uh, and by the way, I think that's, what you're talking about is a good argument in favor of term limits. Yeah. In the case of the president, you know, you got two terms, that's it, we all know it. Yeah. But we should have an 8-year or 10-year time limit or 12-year for the U.S. Senate, maybe, uh, again, term limits there. Because when people are term limited, there's much more of a tendency for people to be willing to vote in ways they believe are good for their country and their state, whereas, uh, you know, congressmen today or or U.S. senators today, are so impacted by voting in ways that they think are best for their re-election that they lose sight of why they're there, and that's to help people and to help the country.
2: So Dick Durbin running for his fifth term, which will put him <laughs> 30 years in the Senate, or Michael Madigan, 46 years in one job in, in Springfield? I mean, that's ridiculous. Absolutely it's, insane. It's not good yeah. for the country. No, it's not good for the state of Illinois. It's not good is, for anybody.
0: Is yeah. it? Is, is that kind of length of time an invitation to corruption, like given the fact that, for example, Nancy Pelosi comes into office at one uh, net worth and now is just an incredibly wealthy person and we're all supposed to pretend, you know— we're supposed to all pretend yeah right?
1: it, it's not just nancy pelosi i mean mm-hmm. you can include barack obama you can include right. joe biden you can include uh, bernie sanders for heaven's sake he used to criticize all millionaires well guess what now he
2: is one yeah right. yeah right so we're gonna we're gonna have to take a short break and then we're gonna be back we're gonna deep do a deep dive into what's going on in illinois and then we want to talk about your campaign for for congress
0: You're listening to Into the Gap, the podcast, where we bring you highlights of our weekly radio show, which airs Saturdays at one o'clock Central Time on WCGO AM and FM, Evanston, Chicago. We also recently introduced the Into the Gap Unfiltered podcast, where leadership, lifelong learning, and critical thinking are leveraged in the service of freedom and liberty. Find it, rate it, and subscribe to it on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. The latest episodes of that podcast, and this one too, are available on SoundCloud at IntoTheGapMedia and on our website, IntoTheGapMedia.com. If you'd like to get in touch with questions, comments, or to inquire about sponsorship opportunities, please email me at Bob at IntoTheGapMedia.com. Let's go back to the show now. Here's my partner, Mike Sherrick. Jim, thanks for being here again. Um, For people that don't know you,
2: why don't you give us a little background about who you are, where you grew up, where you're from?
1: Sure. Uh, I grew up in uh, Aurora. I've lived that in that area my entire life. In fact, I've been in the same house for the last 42 years. Oh, my goodness. That's (laughs) awesome. 30 of which it was considered Aurora, and it's now Sugar Grove. I didn't move, (laughs) (laughs) but they changed post offices. I mean, let me tell you, that made quite a mess at uh, Christmas time. I was going to say, the Uh, Christmas cards has got to be a mess. That's awesome. It it was indeed. Um, I went to Marmon Military Academy, uh, went to the University of Illinois, uh, graduated with the most worthless degree possible. What, philosophy? No, worse. What? Political science. Oh, my God. <laughs> But fortunately, I had minors in math and uh, in economics and yeah. finance, which were a lot uh, a lot more valuable. Yeah. Uh, and later got an MBA from the University of Chicago. Yeah. Uh, I actually started, uh, my first job was as a
2: teacher at I was, Aurora. I, I was going to ask you about that. I told Jim yep. that, I mean, uh, Bob that today, that uh, I found out you were a teacher. Yep. What was that like? That had to be incredible. Because it was, it was the 1970s, wasn't yeah, it? Early it, 70s?
1: Actually, it was 69. Wow. And I had... Uh, a, a great education myself, mm-hmm. and I hope I taught the kids something besides, but I learned a lot, yeah, um it, it was a good experience. and uh, uh, you taught me to be able to stand up and talk in front of people, and uh, I was probably a little bit shy before that. Marmin didn't have any speaking classes or anything yeah. like that, so it was mm. it was a good experience. Uh, I'd like to say and, and, and by the way, I got hired almost as an accident uh, <laughs> I was. Uh, Uh, working for Oberweiss Dairy for that summer as a summer job, and I was delivering a a milk bid to one of the schools, and I jokingly walked in and said, Hi, I'm a teacher looking for a job. Well, at that time, they had a shortage. The the principal rushed out from behind and said, Hey, come back here. We need a teacher. This was like (laughs) July or August. We need one back. you know. And I ended up getting hired, uh, perhaps not because I had the best credentials. I didn't have teaching uh, credentials, but I was... uh, fairly good sized and fairly strong and uh, uh, the other person competing for the job had a master's in education but uh, uh, was smaller and, and I think they were afraid that the kids could push him around they didn't think they'd push me around so I got the job that's awesome it was uh, it was it was interesting yeah but then I uh, later uh, I decided to go into the securities business and started a brokerage firm uh, A money management company and a family mutual funds, and I thought I did a terrific job by building it up from zero to a billion under management. Mm -hmm. Wow! Turned it over to my son Jim uh, some years ago, and he's now over three billion. So (laughs) uh, So he's done okay. I'm delighted to say he's done better than I have. So that's fantastic. Yes, that was great. And and I decided not to go into the dairy business because I had an older brother. John, who uh, uh, was eight years older than I, and he went into the dairy business. I didn't want to be little brother Jim. That's why I went into the securities business. Yeah. But about uh, 25 or 30 years ago, he had a stroke and was unable to continue in the mm-hmm. business. So I bought the business at that time. Um, and it had just one ice cream store and a small home delivery business and about 50 employees. And today we've got about 1,200 employees and uh, 43 ice cream stores. I so know. we've wow. had good period of growth. And my other son, Joe, now runs that business so that I'm free to... Uh, spend some time trying to save the state of Illinois and uh, uh, our country from uh, some directions that i 'm concerned about
2: yeah well let's let 's talk about that so yeah, exactly where do you want to go? do you want to go with the running yeah. for Congress first or do you want to talk about <laughs> the state of illinois first <laughs> i I'd like, uh,
0: to, I'd like to hear the concerns you have about you know like what are your major concerns actually
1: well if you 're talking about Illinois, the major concern is the incredible unfunded pension liability that we have yeah. uh, the uh, the fact that we have run consistent uh, Uh, deficits and the fact that instead of dealing with those deficits by controlling spending, Mm -hmm. we try, we, uh, the other side of the aisle, the Democrat side of the aisle, tries to Mm -hmm. deal with by increasing taxes ever higher. Today, uh, Illinois is probably the highest taxed state in the nation if you include property taxes, which alone are among the highest. And you add to that uh, a fairly high income tax rate and a fairly high sales tax uh, rates.
2: Let's not forget the gas tax. Yeah, <laughs> the last. Well, yeah, the last one. The too. gas
1: tax was just doubled, but uh, quite yeah. frankly, that's still that's in the not too far out of the norm range for okay. a lot of other states. But okay. but yes, it is a doubling on top of all the other taxes. But yeah. uh, we're going to get out of this, uh, according to our governor, by uh, now having new taxes on uh, uh, marijuana, by having new taxes on sports gambling, by
2: having new taxes on uh, uh, anything that moves, tax it. Yeah, casinos. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I listened to Laura, Laura, a little bit of Lori Lightfoot, and she was counting on the savior for Chicago is going yeah. to be a casino in Chicago. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. So what is the way out of Illinois, uh, other than driving north to Wisconsin or <laughs> west to Iowa? Unfortunately, a lot of people are choosing that uh, or uh, south to it. Florida. Or
1: south to Florida. Uh, yeah. a- actually, the two biggest states to, and by the way, Illinois is the only state in the nation that has lost population for the last five years in a row. Yeah. And um, um, the two biggest recipients of Illinois population are Florida and Indiana. Uh, some of the Democrats would like to say, well, they're going to Florida because of the weather yet. Yeah. Well, they, how about Indiana?
2: No, they're moving right across the, the right. state line to like, towns like St. John and, yep. and uh, Munster, and exactly. places like that. which Exactly. Are, you can't believe the building that's going on over there. Exactly. You know? Now, when we talk about the federal
1: government, uh, things are a little bit different, I, I think, in general uh things are going along reasonably well i mean we've mm-hmm. got uh, a fairly strong economy we've got some of the lowest unemployment rates uh that we've had ever in history uh, particularly the uh, uh, lowest empl- unemployment rates for uh, for african americans or blacks uh, some of the lowest unemployment rates for women for hispanics mm-hmm. uh, the economy is is uh, is going along quite well and i'm hoping that it will continue for a while uh, and the stock market has been strong what I'm concerned about there, though, is the size of our federal deficit, yeah. and uh, I, I think we've kind of lost track of that. And that's great. You know, you can go along, wonderful, everything's good, everything's good, everything's good, and then, wham! Suddenly, well, uh,
2: whenever it, there's a downturn in the economy, isn't that when it get
1: hit? You it, get hit. It, it Well, it could happen. That that that's a likely time that people reassess things. Yeah. But it can also happen uh, just because uh, uh, people start to look at our debt and say, "Wow, this is uh, this is overwhelming. I don't want to buy any more of that debt." But right now. Buying our debt seems to be very popular around the world. Uh, yeah, I, I tell you the truth, you know, I'm an MBA at, uh, uh, from University of Chicago, and it's hard to to um, balance or, or compare what we were taught in economics classes uh, 30 or 40 years ago with what is happening to interest rates today. It's absolutely shocking to me. I have been expecting interest rates to go up for the last several years, and instead they've stayed the same or gone down. It's it's just it doesn't make a lot of sense when you recognize that we have uh, very high, high uh, levels of debt, except that it makes some sense in relation to the fact that inflation is pretty low. But, mm-hmm. but those two things can change. If inflation starts to take off, uh, interest rates will follow it higher. And if interest rates start to go up, think of what that does to our, our $22 trillion of debt mm-hmm. on which we have to pay those interest rates. So this, this, this somewhere down the line is going to be a very serious problem, in my opinion. That's why I want to go to Congress. I want to try to help address that issue.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. What do, you, what do you think are some of the, the steps that need to be taken to address the debt issue? Well, we have to change our attitude
1: from being able to finance everything and do everything to – and for a while, we, we actually had a limitation. You couldn't increase spending uh, without some offsetting cut someplace else or mm-hmm. a tax increase. And, of course, uh, Congress doesn't like to increase taxes uh, or they don't like to take the political consequences of increasing right. taxes at least. Uh, and they also don't like to cut spending, so that was sort of a, a governor limitation on our, our runaway spending. Uh, but that's kind of been coming off uh, off the charts lately, and we've we've sort of broken that rule. And, and I think that's that's very concerning. Now, I do think that the the Tax and Jobs Act that we passed a couple of years ago was actually a very good thing. I think it's it's been a spur to our economy. Uh, but the biggest positive about it that that people didn't seem to want to talk about when it happened uh, was the fact that. Uh, we stopped losing corporate headquarters to other countries. We were losing corporations left and right through a process called inversions uh, uh, to, uh, to many other lower tax countries because we had the highest uh, corporate tax rates in the industrialized world. Well, now we're, we're in the middle of the pack. We're not only not losing – there hasn't been a single inversion, to the best of my knowledge, since that bill passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but actually, some of those companies are, are coming back, moving their corporate headquarters back. And some companies who were never here are coming here. So we, we've taken a much more competitive position in the world scene. That's the good that the bill did. Did it also bring down taxes? Yes, it reduced taxes for uh, approximately 65 or 70% of Americans. It only increased them for maybe 10%. Mm-hmm. Um, Typically in the higher tax states because of the salt limitation, but but on balance this was a very good thing for the country.
2: Okay, cool, cool. Mm-hmm. I, I want to know um, one of the things I've I've seen, and I want to get your take on this: is this shift from uh, people taking jobs to what's now called the gig economy? How do you see that impacting our our lifestyle as Americans, but also the the economy as a whole? Well, um,
1: we have had a situation where we've had some. Government rules and particularly union rules that have made it difficult for certain companies to uh, uh, have the flexibility uh, in labor rules to respond to changes. Some of the, as you're calling gig economy, I assume you're talking about companies mm-hmm. like Uber, for instance. Well, not or, just not just mm-hmm.
2: that. It's uh, e- even larger, more uh, – there's a whole thing that Uber does. It kind of is, is a big shift for me when I look at how the economy is in. But, you know, uh, hiring uh, 1099 employees or – Uh, outsourcing, outsourcing like engineering and things like that. You know, there's a a bunch of people that do that. It's not just Uber. Yeah. But but
1: it's that. It's that that whole thing. The idea. Yes. Yeah. Uh, And in Europe, um, uh, labor rules have gotten more and more and more restrictive uh, where, you know, you basically, you can't fire people uh, and and it's, it's enormously expensive to get rid of employees. They become a, a liability rather than an asset. Yeah. Uh, And the United States is not nearly as bad as most of Europe in that regard, but it's taken some steps in that direction. And the the so-called gig economy is a response to that because you can add employees when you need them and you can remove employees when you no longer need them, making you more competitive. And it's one of the reasons that the United States economy is doing better than Europe.
2: No, that's a great point. It's Because I don't have a – I'm just looking at how it's going and and how – because I'm actually – what I do is part of the gig economy. Yep. Honestly, sure. You know? yep. And I was an employee for a long time, and then I own my own business. And now, what I'm doing, I'm, I mean, I own a couple of businesses, but those businesses are just me. You, you know,
1: you could argue that what the gig economy is doing is making so many more people uh, uh, many self-employed
2: individuals. Yeah, well, yeah, and you know, and, and there's a there's a level of freedom that affords me. Yep. And a le- and a lifestyle that I have that I could never enjoy if I work for somebody. And there's a, a an element of uncertainty that comes with it. Yes, but it also raises my own personal responsibility. Like I gotta, you know, I gotta own this. You know, so it's 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 a whole different perspective than punching a clock and working for somebody.
1: Yeah, it, you know? in a sense, it's sort of the uh, the other side of the coin of the direction that unions have tried to take the the uh, yeah. uh, the country where they have total control over the labor force and uh, uh, can determine labor policies. To frequently to the detriment of the competitiveness of, of companies, so as you were pointing out though there's a positive side of that because it gives sure. the employee more more safety, more stability, yeah. more security yeah. uh, and less risk yeah, maybe over the long run less return to
2: yeah yeah, but yeah that's great I, I'm, i've got a whole like like I, I, <laughs> cognitive dissonance and, and unions are kind of the way I am you know like I, there's, I see the positive of them and I see the challenges of them too yeah we're going ha- to talking about sure. yeah, I, I want to talk to you about a couple of the some of the, like, pending issues that are going on in the the world today. And, you know, immigration and the whole border thing has has become just a, I don't even know how to describe it without that I can say on the radio, right?
0: And I have a dovetail to that, which is, is is it really conceivable that unbridled immigration is literally designed to create a new voting class that creates a uh, mono? A political monoculture in America.
1: Sure, uh, look this. This has been an issue for our country for the last twenty or twenty-five years. I raised it for the first time as a serious political issue uh, twelve or fourteen years what was ago. It was in
2: two thousand and four when you were running for senator. I remember. I remember right. the. I remember yeah. the advertisements. You yeah.
1: Boy, did I get burned by the you uh, you newspapers? Got, you got news. smoked. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, everybody hated that uh, coming up as an issue. Or or people being made aware of how serious and how costly this was for for taxpayers.
2: Sometimes when you bring up the issue for the first time, that's what it looks like.
1: I was uh, (laughs) uh, too early uh, ahead of my time, and uh, now the president is attacking the same issue, and I'm delighted to see it being addressed. Look, I I think there are are lots of factors to be considered. First of all, um, I I think as a country, we need to... Address the idea of how many people we want to allow to become uh, to enter our country legally. Right now, it's been approximately a million a year, and by the way, uh, in relation to our size, that's that's a very reasonable, normal number. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably more generous than most countries in the world. Uh, but if that's not the right number, you know, maybe it should be a five hundred thousand, instead of a million, or maybe it should be a million and a half or two million. Whatever it is, mm-hmm. we need to to make that determination then. We need to enforce the law because when you don't enforce the law and you allow people to break it and enter, effectively, they're cutting to the head of the line. Yeah. Uh, they're taking advantage and depriving others who are following our law of their opportunity to come to our country. Now, first of all, let me say this country has been uh, built through immigration. We need immigrants in this country. Most of us, our ancestors are immigrants in mm-hmm. in one form or one, one time or another, and they've been very helpful and uh, beneficial to our country. But... Most of those immigrants entered our country legally. Mm-hmm. Now, the question becomes also what do we do and, and, and before I go to that, let me say to answer your question, I think there's been sort of an unholy alliance in this country between business interests who are looking for a cheap source of labor mm-hmm. uh, companies like uh, uh, you know landscape companies yep. or construction companies restaurants uh, sometimes restaurants, yes. Yep. Um, so that they can have a cheap source of labor that they pay less than some of their competitors who have legal citizens doing that work where they pay higher wages. It gives them an unfair competitive advantage. Yeah. Um, we do have a, a, an opportunity uh, called eVerify for companies to check to see whether the, their employees are here legally or not. And, and it's really simple to use. Oberweist areas use it almost since it's been available about 15 years ago. Uh, And all you do is you plug in the, you go to a website run by the government and you plug in the employee's name and social security number. And if it's a match, you're in pretty good shape. And Mm -hmm. and you're exempt from any penalties because you've you've done the right thing. And and presumably that's a legal employee. If it doesn't match, you're then supposed to go to the employee and say, hey, this doesn't match. What's wrong? Please get it fixed. So uh, if companies do that, it's going to take away the opportunity for most illegal immigrants to secure jobs in this country. But Many companies don't do that. Uh, they won't they don't want to use E-Verify because they're afraid they'll find out that these employees are not legal employees. Right. In those cases, I believe that government has an obligation to enforce our law and to put severe penalties
2: on those companies that are violating the law, taking advantage of uh, illegal aliens in in that regard. So Jim, you're talking about something we talk about on the show all the time. So consequence for aberrant behavior. Sure. Which seems to have gone out of style. Yeah. Right like everyone's a victim.
1: and it, Actually, let me finish sure. my point. The, the, the unholy alliance then is between those businesses who want to take advantage of the system mm-hmm. along yeah. with, uh, and, and those are more often than not Republicans, yeah. uh, along with on the other side uh, Democrats who see this as a source of uh, uh, new voters in the future. And okay. I, I think they, they certainly believe okay. that. We've seen more and more um, uh, opportunity. In fact, in Illinois, I'll give you a perfect example. In Illinois, we passed legislation that says that when you register for a driver's license, mm-hmm you will automatically be registered to vote at the same time. You don't have to prove any citizenship. You don't have to prove anything. You're going to be automatically registered to vote, and you can, you'll be an illegal alien and register for a driver's license. Now, uh, there is a provision that says you, if you are not a U.S. citizen, you're supposed to tell them, wait, don't give me a voter's ID card. I'm not a citizen. Well, I, come on. How many people are actually going to do that? They're just going to go ahead and they're going to, you know, not say anything and end up with the uh, with the with the uh, uh, voters registration. That to me is a problem because we should only have American citizens being allowed to vote. Yeah, I, that's Absolutely. what I thought the law was. Was it American citizens? Yes, were... that is the law. But I also explained why that my law God. is not effective.
0: Oh my! God. Here's a question I have dovetailing again on that even, which is minimum wage, right? Sure. And that uh, Trump folded on minimum wage, and is that? I mean, how could that possibly be? beneficial uh, to a, a, an economy that is, wants to grow, how how does that work
1: well, or not? Look, one can argue that uh, uh, we shouldn't have any minimum wages at all because the economy should determine that, supply and demand of labor should determine that. Mm-hmm. But to be honest with you, I, I'm not too concerned about reasonable minimum wages. In fact, I will tell you, I actually sponsored legislation uh, a couple of years ago to, to raise the minimum wage in Illinois to $9 an hour, which... Mm-hmm. I think is reasonable. Um, but going to $15 an hour is market distorting. Yeah. And quite frankly, if you're someone who's working, first of all, understand minimum wage jobs are meant to be entry-level jobs. They're yep. not meant to be the job that's going to feed a family of four right. for the rest of their life. They're, right. they're, they're, they're an opportunity for kids to come in to learn how to to right. work and to learn how to be responsible for their jobs. Mm-hmm. So so that's the, the whole purpose. Now, if you're a minimum wage worker and we have a $15 minimum wage and you keep your job. This is great because you just got a nice raise. Mm-hmm. But it also means that there are going to be an awful lot of people who are going to lose their jobs. There are going to be an awful lot of people who are not going to have an opportunity to get that first job that would have otherwise. And I think that's very bad for the economy. It's very bad for the country. And I would oppose mm-hmm. those, those types of market distortions.
2: Mm-hmm. Jim, I'll give you an example of the, like real-world impact and the minimum wage thing. So I'm on the board of directors at the PAP YMC in Berlin, mm-hmm. right? So it's in Cook County. And they they went into the whole Cook County minimum wage thing. So the minimum wage in Berwyn right now is twelve bucks an hour. Yep. Uh, I forgot what the number of part time employees is—about one hundred and thirty, mostly kids. Yep. And the impact on the one dollar an hour raise is about one hundred and thirty thousand dollars a year to this to the uh, to the why. -hmm. And I think our budget's right about a million, a million two. Yeah. So that's a significant impact. And and so what's got to happen is there's there's actually the removal of some programs, the limiting of some services, which are vital primarily for the elderly people in the community. Which Berwyn is is kind of this bimodal community with a lot of old people and a lot of real young families. Yep. You know. So it's actually taken away from because both and both those constituencies constituencies get served by the. The why? But that's my point.
1: That's yeah. exactly what's
2: happening. And, no, and if that's you exactly look at the
1: uh, uh, the uh, quick serve restaurant industry, mm-hmm. you're going to see more and more terminals. So when you walk in the door, you I'm enter sure. your yeah. uh, your order there instead of having uh, yeah. a service employee take that order for yeah, you. So and you're going to lose it, jobs. Yeah, there's no question about it. Yeah, yeah. And, fact,
0: the, and the people that can afford it the least are the ones that get hit the worst. It right. seems
1: that's right. And 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 particularly young workers. Uh, there's yeah. there's much less incentive for companies to hire that 16-, 17-, 18-year-old who's about to get his first job, if you can hire somebody who's 50 and uh, uh, be able to get them to uh, uh, to work in a job where they've already
2: got some experience. Yeah. yeah. So this kind of leads into the next thing I want to get your take on is there's this – it seems like every day it grows, this cultural divide in America. You know? Yeah. What, what do you see are the – the solutions or the things that need to be addressed? And what can we do on a personal level, on an individual level to do this? Because I'm not a big believer that the state or the federal government is the solution with most things. Well, this may
1: be more information than you want, uh, it, but <laughs> in, in my opinion, one of the drivers of that, believe it or not, mm-hmm. is our redistricting uh, method. We now allow politicians to draw our legislative districts and the tendency is to draw those so that the incumbents are protected. Mm. And when you create Republican districts and you create other districts that are Democrat districts, what happens? Well, what happens is in the primary, you get the Republicans running more and more extreme to the right, to the Mm -hmm. conservative side. In the Democrat districts, you get the Democrats running more and more to the left, to the extreme far on that side, So that because that's where the election is. The election is not in the general election. It's in the primary. And that means that uh, the Democrats who are elected are more extreme liberals, the Republicans who are elected are more extreme conservatives. And when they get to Washington, it's harder or same thing is true in Springfield. It's yeah. harder and harder for them to, to come to the middle, to, to listen to the other side and to compromise. And, and I think that's a driving force and believe it or not, Barack Obama saw the same problem and it had it talked about that. That's one of the few things I found that I really agree with Barack <laughs> Obama
2: on. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't even think about that. How Redistricting. I thought it's a fantastic
0: insight. Yeah, how me. that
2: actually, because what it does, it doesn't provide. If, if everybody, it, it actually creates more of the tribalism.
0: Yes, exactly. So,
2: and and there isn't the discourse and the open conversation and the and the really getting over there and understanding their position. Yes, I would love to learn how someone who sees things completely different than me sees them, so I can understand because it makes no sense otherwise.
1: There there are some states that redistrict in different ways, uh, mm-hmm. where they have computers draw them, or they try to protect county lines mm-hmm. or, or city integrity, which to me makes all kinds of sense. So then you got the federal government saying, well, wait, you've got to be, when you draw these districts, you've got to protect minority groups. You have to draw, yeah. in Illinois, you've got to draw a certain number of districts that protect uh, African-American voters. you got to draw a certain number of districts that protect Hispanic voters. And, and that's when you start to get some of these strange drawing lines. And then you uh, add on top of that the fact that that the politicians who are drawing these want to protect their friends and want to protect their their own party. And uh, that's what creates these uh, uh, districts that are no longer competitive.
0: How much do you think it has to do with, like, for example, uh, the Japanese relative (laughs) to American cars many years ago, right? Where, in other words, and I'll frame it like this, it's not enough to compete. You want to destroy your competition. Rather than finding out, like, what how you differentiate yourself from your competition? There's this attitude to annihilate the competition. I mean, are we are we in some kind of end game like that at this point? Because you know, like, is that where? Is
1: I, it, I don't know. That's a that's a little different twist on it. That I I guess I hadn't thought it in those terms.
0: Mm-hmm. It's it, it would seem to be that this re- redistricting and demographics is destiny, and all this information now that that data is a currency.
1: Like, no question about that. That's, yeah.
2: Country's definitely, the world is definitely going that way.
0: Right, yeah. right. And it's just like a manifestation, maybe.
2: Yep. So we're going to have to take a break. And when we get back, I really want to get into the Illinois 14th District and your race with... Uh, oh, great. Well,
0: I do too. Yeah, that's why you're here. So thank you. That's thank what we're you. going to do. Thank you. Bob Pontarelli here, and I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. We'll have more Into the Gap episode highlights after a short break. Into the Gap is on a quest for bringing self-knowledge right up against the glass of the great display window of life. We're also on a quest for advertisers to support this podcast, our weekly radio show, and our unfiltered podcast. If you'd like to get more information and inquire about rates, please contact me at bob at IntoTheGapMedia.com. Ecotech Pest Control is a local family-owned pest control company located in the Chicagoland area. We aim to provide environmentally responsible, effective pest prevention and elimination to our clients following the principles of integrated pest management. From bedbugs to roaches, from silverfish to rodents, whether residential or commercial, Ecotech Pest Control will get the job done. Visit our website, ecotechpestcontrol.com, for a free estimate or call us at 773-570-0070 to schedule your service appointment today and tell them Into the Gap sent you. This is Into the Gap, the podcast, where we bring you highlights of our radio show, which airs every Saturday at 1 o'clock Central Time on WCGO AM and FM. We also recently introduced the Into the Gap Unfiltered podcast, where we pack the current cultural narrative into a sausage grinder of critical thought, and where whatever enters that sacred hog casing gets served up hot and juicy on a platter of freedom and liberty. Find it, rate it, and subscribe to it on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Our latest episodes are also available on SoundCloud at IntoTheGapMedia and our website, IntoTheGapMedia.com. Okay, back to the show now. Here's Mike. So, Jim, why are you running for Congress?
1: Yep, Um, my, what we were talking about earlier is, yeah. is my concern over the uh, uh, the, way that, uh, mm-hmm. the way that we apply economic policy, the way that we have been generating very large budget deficits, and my concern that uh, we effectively have runaway spending that has to be brought under control. And my opponent, uh, the Underwood uh, Pelosi philosophy is uh, just keep <laughs> let's on. not leave out the squad too. <laughs> yes. <right>? Oh boy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. She has. Uh, she has the most extreme liberal voting record of any member of Congress, even more extreme than Nancy Pelosi, which is just shocking. It's hard to believe. And that's a study done by UCLA, not by a conservative organization, by the way.
2: Yeah. No, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, I, I told you, one of the reasons I was interested in bringing you on is I supported Lauren. You know? I, norm, I met her mom. Shame you know? on you. Huh? I know. <laughs> I know. Well, you know what? I, I had a conversation. I, I wanted assurances that it wasn't going to go exactly the way it did. And I told you before the show that by two weeks before the election... Her yeah. campaign went from being this grassroots kind of neighborhood thing, yeah. to something that was filled with people from Washington D.C., yep. Oak Park, yes, Chicago, and the uh, and Springfield. Yes, and everybody I met was from one of those places, and I didn't meet anybody from from Naperville anymore.
1: They were loading up the buses to come uh, go door to door, and and quite frankly, a lot of that was supported by uh, our governor JB Pritzker, who committed one hundred and seventy million dollars of his own money to the campaign. But he was effective in helping to identify uh, potential Democrat voters, make sure they got mail-in ballots, mm-hmm. and and that's what all these kids who were bust in were doing, was identifying which voters were, were sympathetic to uh, the Pritzker-Underwood uh, side of the uh, ledger, and then making sure that they either mailed in a ballot or got out to vote early. So, And you... by the way, we're going to have an even better program on the Republican
2: side next year to offset that. Awesome. So... Uh... If, As a a person who lives in the 14th Illinois District, how is my life going to be impacted when you become our congressperson as opposed to, Lauren?
1: Well, I think, number one, uh, as a state senator, every single request or uh, piece of information that our constituents have sent, we've tried to listen to, to read, and to respond to Mm -hmm. wherever possible. Uh, I will try to take that same uh, initiative to a congressional office and do the best we can to respond to, to concerns. Now, it doesn't mean that uh, just because somebody says, I want you to do this, that we right. therefore do no, that. Absolutely. But we certainly listen to it and pay attention to it and try to respond in a, in a reasonable fashion. And if we differ, we try to explain why we differ and what our, our opinion is. And I believe that that would be useful. I, I think you even mentioned that you'd had some problems in getting responses from uh, uh, congressional offices in the past. Yeah. Uh, I hope that we can do better than that, and I hope that we can set the direction of the country uh, to continue it forward with uh, a growing economy, uh, so that our deficits don't continue to spiral out of balance, and I, th- I think we need to look at wherever there is uh, uh, waste, and there's plenty in the federal government, and, and wherever there's fraud, that we attack that to uh, to rid the economy of those costs.
0: Excellent, excellent. You got anything, Bob? No, I'm fascinated. Yes, yeah. will you?
2: No, no. I, I think it's I think it's great. I. I uh... I'm just, I, I'm, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm having this conversation with you, right? And, and I'm just inspired by the common sense approach that you bring. Well, thank you. I appreciate that very you, much. You know, I mean, that's what I, th- th- you know, I, I didn't know you before. And I, you know, I just saw a couple ads before and I read about you, but I, I didn't know you. And, and you're like the normal common sense guy. And, um. Hey,
1: Mike, let me tell you one sure. of the things that I've learned in my seven years in Springfield. Mm-hmm. There, there is a very big difference between two groups of legislators. I, I think most legislators there mean well, mm-hmm. um, but there's a group on one side, and there are some Democrats in that group and Republicans mm-hmm. who've had uh, a business life, a business experience before yeah. being elected. And then there's the other side uh, who've done nothing except be involved in government for their entire lives, the, yeah. the career politicians. And those career politicians may have every good intention in the world. They believe they were elected to try to Uh, Do good things for their constituents to get more government money, to get more government programs. But what they lack is an idea of prioritization, an idea of uh, if I spend uh, an extra million dollars there, it has to come from somewhere. Somebody's going to pay that. And yeah. we have to balance those two things together, whereas those on the business side, they instinctively understand, hey, we, we have to look at prioritizing. We can only do the, the top six things. Right. That's all we can afford to do. On the other side, the, the, they believe there are 15 things, and we're going to do every one of them, and somehow they'll find a way to pay for it. You, yeah, go ahead.
0: Uh, well, I was going to say, how much of okay, – we're talking about now leadership, right? And this is more of like a, a top-down scenario. What about – where the culture seems to be going and how the culture is, like Mike mentioned earlier, you know, bifurcating in a way on one side, right? But also, there does not seem to be a rich civic involvement. Uh, c- civics was removed from the schools many years ago, right? Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're a consumer society. And replaced
2: we're with LGBTQ history. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we're, we're a transaction-based, econ, uh, you know, culture, in a, in a manner of speaking, right? What do you think the...
1: Let, yeah. let me tell you one other thing that I've learned in mm-hmm. relation to that yeah. by my years in business. Mm. Uh, I can be at the top of that company and I can say, "Do this. This is what I want." And yeah. guess what? There's some uh, some motion in that direction, but it's not heartfelt, and frequently it will fail. Yeah. On the other hand, if we listen to the people who are working on the project and understand things, and you can get them aligned to work together. Uh, Mm -hmm. things can happen wonderfully. A quick example, at Oberweiss Dairy, uh, we decided a number of years ago that we wanted to, uh, that our facilities are really busy at night, but at noon, there's nobody there. So let's try to use our real estate in another way and let's add, perhaps my idea was uh, sandwiches and and salads at at noon. Not burgers. Not burgers yet. Well, my idea was salads and sandwiches. So we put together a team of employees and said, let's develop a a salads and sandwich concept. They came back a few months later and said, Jim, um, you know what? We really think burgers and fries would be better <laughs> because there's more national demand. There's more interest in that, better growth opportunities. And now I'm stuck, okay? I'm,
0: <laughs> I'm thinking,
1: hey, salads and sandwiches would be uh, very healthy and it would kind of right. temper our uh, our very rich ice cream. Um, so I have a choice. I can say no, I want salads and sandwiches. Go do it, in which case it would they'd make an attempt at it, but it probably wouldn't be totally one hundred percent. Or I can say, okay, you guys said burgers and fries, now you better make it work. And yeah. they are fully invested in that. They go after enthusiastically, and that's the decision we make. Well, the same thing is true in government. Yeah. You have to bring people together. I can tell you, when I got to Springfield, um, one of the things that I looked at was our, our speed limit, mm-hmm. uh, which was 65. And there had mm-hmm. been four attempts in the past by both Republicans and Democrats to change it to 70 that had all failed. I was able to, to, to bring Democrats and Republicans together by going around talking to them individually, getting more sponsors in the bill, and we were able to pass a bill, which is just a common-sense bill. People were driving that faster, or faster yeah. anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we, I don't like laws that people ignore. I, I think either you enforce the law or you change the law to make something that—, that, that Oh, my God. Is, same thing is true with, it's the <laughs> That's same thing with immigration. That's pretty radical. Yeah. It, yeah, It's the whole <laughs> same concept. Yeah. So um that's what I can bring to Washington. I'm willing to listen to the other side. I'm willing to compromise with the other side as long as it doesn't violate my principles right. and try to find common sense solutions. Yeah.
0: Do you do you think the future is 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 this one to one because this is how Mike and I look at the show. We look at the show as you know you're obviously speaking to one person but our ability or we still have a capacity to uh, speak to one another on a one-to-one basis and build consensus this way i mean is it
1: is well it... i hope you're not speaking just one-to-one i hope you're speaking to thousands of people out there listening right, right. to the well, show at well, time. we've got a few
0: thousand people listening <laughs> we think yeah
1: yeah but but yeah i think you, know, you have to be willing to listen to the other side and try to understand the other side
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah jim it's been so cool having you here would you consider coming back I'd love to. And this is yeah.
1: great fun, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, excellent. Because awesome. because
2: there's some some unfinished topics we want to talk about, particularly the uh, the, <laughs> the Democratic Party in Springfield, run by a particular despot. But
1: uh, I also didn't didn't really get to finish and I don't know if we got time yeah, or not uh, to yeah. talk about. Uh, oh. <laughs> same thing on solution for the illegal immigration problem. I think we need, again need to compromise. Yeah, we got all these kids who came here illegally, who've grown up here, who've been here for a long time, who consider this their country. Um, we shouldn't punish those kids for the sins of their parents who brought them here illegally. Thank you. Uh, we should find a way to, for citizenship. But on the other hand, the compromise. We got to go. Okay. Thank you so I'll much. I'll come Jim. back with thank the you. Rest.
2: Excellent. <laughs> Bye, everyone.
0: Please allow us to thank you for listening to this show, as we are only too aware that your support makes it possible.